Welcome to the Subtle Cane Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith, broadcasting from the Aorta of America, beautiful festival city, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where we pump out reason and pierce through the propaganda. Here we go. And we're back. I want to thank you for joining me today. If you're a returning listener, thank you for your continued support. And if you're a new listener, thank you for gracing us with your virtual presence. It is uh, truly an honor. Episode 7 today, The Safety Dance. Now, if you did listen to the quote-unquote bonus episode that I released called Step Back Technocrat, I know it was the one that was a bit of a rant, as I said, and was a little less structured. But I did say that I would look into how safety became the number one goal. And well, I did. This is a very complex topic, and I didn't realize just how much material there was out there to talk about this. And I started doing some digging, and I found some very interesting stuff because of time, as usual, um, trying to be respectful of the between 20 and 30 minute podcast episodes, I decided to just try and grab some quotes and put together a couple different thoughts and then send you on your way to either ponder it or shrug your shoulders and say, okay, we could go either way with that. But because I've been studying Yost Mirlu's work, particularly his book, The Rape of the Mind, in which he talks about menticide, or as Merriam-Webster defines it, quote, a systematic and intentional undermining of a person's conscious mind, brainwashing, end quote. I'll be leaning heavily on the Dutch psychiatrist's work because I, I really like the way that he framed things. And of course, I, I did pull a couple different people in here, and we're going to talk about a couple different aspects of it. But I wanted to start with this quote. The tragic facts of political experiences in our age make it all too clear that applied psychological technique can brainwash entire nations and reduce their citizens to a kind of mindless robotism, which becomes for them a normal way of living, end quote. I thought that was very interesting. Now, I'm sure that he wasn't saying that every last person in a nation is brainwashed, But functionally, enough people in a nation can be brainwashed by applied psychological technique, which will lead to a kind of mindless robotism. And that becomes a normal way of living. And I I think I can draw at least a correlation between the safety dance, as I like to call it, and these psychological techniques. Yost argues that a man, quote, has two faces— He wants to grow toward maturity and freedom, and yet the primitive child in his unconscious yearns for complete protection and irresponsibility, end quote. And here's maybe a glimpse at a possible driver of the safety dance. The confused infant, the child in us, yearns for control and abdication of personal responsibility. Now, I don't know about you, but I have sensed a sort of milieu, a zeitgeist of more and more control and less and less responsibility, and that being fostered. I mean, when I look around and I see 
safe spaces. This to me is so strange and maybe it's because I'm a Gen Xer, but I don't remember having safe spaces when I was growing up. I remember maybe wanting a safe space at times, but I can't see the benefit. Now, I understand that it's good to have a place where you feel welcome and just take a little breather from the world around you. And, you know, if it isn't your home, you can find places to do that. But specifically labeling places as safe spaces, ostensibly, they're places that you will not have to confront the harsh realities of the world. But the flip side of that coin is a possible subconscious innate belief that all other places are unsafe. I'm saying at least we should ask that question. Is that a possible side effect? You know, you look at medical decisions or you look at tactical decisions and you want to look at the primary, the secondary, and even the tertiary possible consequences of an action. I'm saying that an innate belief that all other places are unsafe is a possible side effect of that. It's a possible consequence. You go around the campus and you see these triangles that say safe on them. And people have gone through this safe training. I I went through it myself for school. And it it has to do with the uh, LGBTQ plus community and knowing how to try to whack your way through the jungle of terminology that's constantly shifting and hope that you are not stepping on a landmine of offense. I remember I had said in a previous episode, you don't, I'm not advocating for you to walk around in a minefield of potential offenses. And I still believe that very much so. And I don't think that that's productive. The world is cruel. People are brutal. Hiding from that is not an answer though, because it will be waiting for you. You know, with my kids, I never really tried to shield them so much from the reality of the world. Now, I did to some extent. I didn't want them to be hurt. Of course, I didn't want them to be hurt. But I also didn't want them to be unprepared for the challenges that they would be meeting. I think that does a disservice. You can shield them only so much. But if you shield them too much, you protect them too much, you make them feel too much dependent on you for their safety, they will not do well when they are faced with the harsh reality of the world. And I think that's important to note. Now, of course, the need for empathy, kindness, and acceptance of an individual, and as an individual with inherent worth, it should go without saying. But we know people are cruel, and the world is brutal. Stephen King opened his book, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. I always love this quote. The world had teeth, and it could bite you with them any time it wanted, end quote. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, around every corner, there's a, there's a possible something waiting for you, some challenge that you did not perceive. And the less you are trained for that, the less successful you will be at rising to that challenge. When you go through basic training, they do not worry about your feelings. Maybe they do now. I'm not sure. They didn't. And the reason why that was, was because they wanted to toughen you up. We are not being toughened up. We are not toughening up people going through school. I can tell you that. We're giving them safe spaces. How many safe spaces do you think are waiting out in the world? How funny does a safe space sound to someone who's living in a developing country or 
in abject poverty, low on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How hilarious is the idea of a safe space for your feelings when you're trying to survive? It's such a first world thing. I I don't think people that are bought in on all of this really understand how bizarre it seems to someone who is not living in that same bubble. I just thought I'd put that out there. I'm also wondering, so you see, if you watch the news, if you're if you're online watching all of these different influencers on these different threads, you will notice that we are dividing ourselves, dividing ourselves. I'm wondering if the answer is to divide ourselves by endless categories and classifications, various hierarchies of privilege and oppression, and thus unity dies the death of a thousand qualifications. You see, people do not unite by focusing on their differences. We unite by focusing on our commonalities while respecting our differences. I'm going to say that again. I hope it sticks. People do not unite by focusing on their differences. We unite by focusing on our commonalities while respecting our differences. Now, I know this is very Western of me, but Western idealism regards fierce individualism. It really does a good job of resisting totalitarianism because it focuses on evaluating situations in terms of our own conscience, and we evaluate situations and people individually. When I meet someone, instead of focusing on the color of their skin or what their sexual preference is or who they voted for or whether or not they got a vaccine or what music they listen to, instead, if I just meet them and then try to do my very best to focus on that interaction that I have with them, who they are, how they interact with me, how they interact with the people around them. If I focus on them as an individual, well, then I see them for who they really are and not as some classification or some rung on a hierarchy of privilege or oppression or the color of their skin. It's absolutely ludicrous to think that making those the main focus of your worldview is going to unite people. I I find it ironic that all you hear all day on campus from certain people are diversity, diversity, diversity. The irony of the fact that they are at a university is beyond me sometimes. I mean, the very word university is a contradiction of diversity. University means everybody together, though they're different. Everybody together, though they're different. Diversity is the classification of everybody. The dividing of everybody. Anyways, I thought that was ironic. And I don't get to use the word ironic correctly very often. So I was excited about it. Lawrence Kohlberg, a developmental psychologist of of some note, has a theory with different stages of development. And the final, the most, the highest level of development you can come to, or you can realize in his theory, is the post-conventional or autonomous, or principled level of development. And, he's, and it says in the textbook that I, that I pulled this from, quote, the most advanced level of moral development is one in which self-chosen ethical principles guide decisions of conscience, end quote. What does that mean, really? 
Well, that means instead of allowing other people to tell you how to think or how to value other people or or what you should rate as more important or less important, they are self-chosen ethical principles. Now, you may align yourself with biblical principles or psychological principles, but you choose the principles and you enact those principles and you you are guided by internal ethics rather than external forces. It's very important. And there's a reason why Kohlberg said that that was the highest level of development. Now, when we are talking about all of this safety, I think before we go into a short break, I think it's important to just bring a quote from Ben Franklin and consider it. And you may have heard it before. It's a very famous quote. It's, it's this. Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety, end quote. Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety, end quote. I think that's powerful, and I think it's true, though it is hard to hear. I'm going to take a quick break here and just talk to you about the value for value system. Now, I've done kind of a poor job thus far of promoting the podcast, and in order to garner a larger audience, I need to be more conscious of that. I need to be a little more in tune with the with the world as it is. So I'm going to ask you, please, if you are listening to this, rate and review if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or whatever app you're on. Uh, I'm sure there, depending on where you listen to me, there are ways to give some feedback. If there isn't, you can also email me at subtlecane at protonmail.com. That's subtlecane at protonmail.com. Com. I have also started a Substack account. If you don't know what Substack is, it's a, a platform for authors and different podcasters. And so I've also added a discussion board for the Subtle Cane podcast there at Substack. So if you look up Substack and then you look up the Subtle Cane podcast, ta-da, there I will be. And you can join a discussion. You can, like I said, I would love to see some art. Or if you want to post a link to some music that you created, that would be great. I would love it to be a place where you could share and help out with the production of the podcast, which is really what you'll be doing. You can also contribute financially, and that it, that would be extremely helpful. I do not accept advertising money because, well, I don't want advertising influence. I don't want corporate influence on the podcast. And I would hate to rely financially on an outside source, some corporate money. So if you feel so inclined, please consider contributing through PayPal. I have a Patreon uh, site, which I haven't really had any traction with yet, but it is there and the link will be in the show notes as well as there's a little button you can click for the PayPal, or I will have a link to my PayPal as well in the show notes, along with sources that I use, and I'm still kind of figuring out these systems, but I have uh, actually received some contributions thus far, and I want to give credit to Pete G. and Sarah S. for the first and much appreciated financial contribution to the Subtle Cane podcast. It does cost a little money to to do this, to be hosted on a, on a good platform, 
uh, like I am, and to well put in the time and the effort, and it it really it's it's so appreciated. Thank you so much, uh, PG and Sarah S. I have also received some assistance with the art. Uh, Sarah S did some help with the art, and also uh, the notorious IRV, my good friend. And then with the music, I'm sure the intro and the outro music uh, was from David S, Jerry Lee, Rob P. And so in order to avoid copyright uh, infringement or just using the little buttons I have on my recording equipment here for the generic sounds or, or intro, outro stuff, I was blessed by having actual music I could use. And so thank you so much to David S., Jerry Lee, and Rob P. Now let's get back to the safety dance and return to the two faces of man that Yost was talking about. I think we need to discuss whether we think it is likely that the abdication of responsibility for the promise of safety is happening, and if it is, is that tendency being intentionally fostered for the purpose of garnering power? That reduction to robotism that Mirlu mentioned. One of the most effective means of eliciting a willingness to surrender freedom is fear. H.L. Mencken uh, was a, an American journalist and a contemporary of Mirlu, and he said, quote, The whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed, and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins, most of them imaginary. Of course, he also said, quote, on some great and glorious day, the plain folks of the land will reach their heart's desire at last, and the White House will be adorned by a downright moron. End quote. Hmm, you don't say. Moving on. So back to the idea of the hobgoblins and the clamoring for safety. Look at the war on terror, the war on drugs, the vast overestimation of the swine flu pandemic in 2009 the anthrax in the mail debacle, the ever-impending climate change enthusiasts who tell us that we have but 12 years to live, and the very questionable accounting of the COVID-19 pandemic as reported by mainstream media, the death tickers on the side of the screen and all. The point is that whether real or imaginary, threats are regularly misrepresented or blown out of proportion for the purpose of inspiring fear. This only perpetuates a sense of helplessness and feeds infantile tendencies in the public. And I think it causes them to become more pliant and willing to submit to more and more regulation and less and less freedom under the guise of security and abdication of personal responsibility. The safety dance is a contradiction of higher development and mature thought. Mirlu, along with many others, commented on the sort of regression that takes place in humans. When confronted with the choice between fear of the unknown and surrendering to control, he said this, quote, Above all, to live is to love, and many people are afraid to take the responsibility of loving, of having an emotional investment in their fellow beings. They want only to be loved and to be protected. They are afraid of being hurt and rejected. End quote. Do you see yourself doing this? Do you see it in others? Now, we can't eliminate the many sources of fear in our world, but we can choose to live and to overcome and face those fears. We can choose to love regardless of whether or not it is reciprocated. That's what Jesus taught. 
even to love your enemies. We must not confuse loving someone, though, with agreeing with them. I think that's where we go wrong. I've noticed a distinct confusion between these two things in the constant and uncharitable calls for diversity and equity. Somehow we've conflated agreement and love. We have placed compliance and unity on a pedestal or even an altar, I'd say, and sacrificed our ability to have civil and respectful discussions about differing points of view. If you are a returning listener and you did listen to, uh, I believe it was episode one, I suggested an assignment to pick something you're passionate about and argue passionately against it. Try and see through the eyes of another that you don't agree with. Recognize that they have reasons for their position, regardless of whether or not you agree with them. Look, fear is a tool that is actively used to call upon your desire for protection and submission to control. And and we have that. We want to be safe. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be safe. But we have to think about what the cost is and how how safe is safe enough. And, and where do we draw that line? I can't make that decision for you. But I think it's something that we should think about. It's something we should talk about. And please, start seeing each other as human beings and not as all these different classifications and on this hierarchy of oppression and privilege. It's counterproductive. I'm just going to say it. It's counterproductive. It's not helping. I'm going to end with this quote, I think. It's from Joost Mirlu. As I said, I would lean heavily on this Dutch psychiatrist. Quote, To the degree that the individual is made an object of constant mental manipulation, to the degree that cultural institutions may tend to weaken intellectual and spiritual strength, to the degree that knowledge of the mind is used to tame and condition people instead of educating them, to that degree does the culture itself produce men and women who are predisposed to accept an authoritarian way of life. End quote. Those are heavy words. Something we should consider. I don't want to do the safety dance. I don't think any of us should do the safety dance. Is safety important? Of course. But at what cost? And where do we draw that line? For all you listening, you are valued. You are loved. And you are worthy. God bless. And good night.